podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. I've been talking to Aussies in Hollywood on this podcast for two years now, but when I caught up with Travis Fimmel recently, even after starring in the epic series Vikings and the current Ridley Scott Foxtel sci-fi drama Raised by Wolves, he was the first interview to insist he had no ambition and didn't even particularly like acting. Well, as you'll soon figure out for yourself while listening to our chat, Travis's success actually has a lot more to do with hard work than he'd like to admit. Just a heads up before we get into the conversation, there's a bit of background noise on this one, but that's what happens when you record socially distanced style. Here's Travis. Travis Fimmel, welcome to Aussies in Hollywood. I am really excited to uh, get you on, at least on Zoom, because we're both in LA social distancing, which is very weird, um, but... Uh, it's it's lovely to have another Aussie to talk to and you have had such an interesting career. I can't wait to talk about it because it just seems like from the very, very beginning this was something that kind of happened to you and you really didn't do a lot to make it happen <laughs> the way your career has turned out. So I wonder if you look back on that now and sort of think about all the things that had to happen for you to be sitting here where you are now. I um I never dreamt or wanted to be, still don't want to be an actor or any of that. I had no ambition ever. I was never sung and danced in front of my parents or any of that sort of stuff. And then yeah, to be over here doing this now, it's it's pretty random. But I first off, I went to um I went to travel like every Aussie gets that uh, two year visa to London. And uh, I went over there with a mate and worked in a bar and lived above a pub there. And then um, I still don't know how I became an actor. I came over here. I did uh, a semester of um, of uni at RMIT in Melbourne. But you didn't finish, did you? No, I hardly even started. Was it architecture? What was it? Uh, it was project managing. It was um, architecture... Uh, she's so long. I'm still deferred. I could go back. Engineering. <laughs> Engineering and um, and business. See, I know more than you <laughs> do about your life. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, kids that I did that a couple of months with, they went to Cal Poly over here. So uh, did like tra- uh, deferred school and did it over here for a year, the same course. So I came over and visited them, and I was going to travel around the states, and then I did that. And then uh, I ended up in L.A. I was going to fly out. And I had another mate here that was being an actor and uh, ended up going to class. And I don't know, a lot of people, uh, uh, my class was very, it was a very honest class. Everybody had to be very honest and they tell the story and that sort of stuff. And randomly, I had a lot in common with a lot of the people that were speaking in class. And I just felt like, well, maybe I should uh, stay here and, and I just try and avoid a real job and I don't know, started acting and I sort of driven by by wanting to be good, not driven by unfortunately I don't love it and passionate about it like other most actors are. I wish I was, it'd make life a lot easier. 
But I was driven by um, just trying to be good, and I went to class for four years or something, and then um, I'm still here, lost, scared, <laughs> lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so then let's rewind back to the start. Uh, were you, was you born in Echuca or somewhere near there? Is that? Could you give me a little bit of history on where you grew up? And yeah, I grew up. Um, I was born in Echuca Hospital, but I grew up about half an hour outside of it. Yeah, born on the same farm that yeah I grew up on my whole life, and they sold it uh, I think three years ago. So, do you remember the first time you were exposed to TV or film and what you thought about it? Did you used to watch TV at home, or were you into it? Oh, I just I remember the cartoons on Saturdays. <laughs> but um, I remember literally we had a black and white TV just because we weren't we weren't huge into TV, my family. You're we always outdoors, you know, until it got dark and then you sort of come inside and then you kind of had to go to bed or whatever. I remember going, get when my uncles had come, my mum's brothers, they'd always go get um, videos from the local town. We watch, um, you know, movie rentals or whatever. I remember watching movies that way. But never went to the theatre much at all. Well, I can't even remember. I think I can't remember watching a movie as a kid in the theatre. But I know we did go. But yeah, I was never into movies, any of it. Somebody would be the most famous singer or actor or whatever in front of me, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know who they are a lot of the time. It's embarrassing. That must be awkward if they recognise you and have a conversation with you and you have no idea who they are. Has that happened? Uh, no, nobody recognises me. But <laughs> the, um, yeah, no, it's definitely happened. And people said, do you know who that was? And I'm like, no, no idea. So you were more of an athletic kid. That was where you thought you'd sort of, you know, you were going to stay on the farm and you played soccer and football and all of that, right? Yeah, no soccer, just AFL, oh, okay. football, but... Yeah, no, I like sports um, when I was a kid, like any Aussie kid. Uh, yeah, but I was always going to stay on the farm. That was a plan. wanted to be a farm boy and then uh, came to L.A. Was I was avoiding being at home and then um, ended up being here a lot longer than I <laughs> imagined. So you, you were on a dairy farm, is that right? Yeah, dairy was a main... Um, the main thing there, but we had beef and some crops as well. So what was a normal day like for you? Did you have to work on the farm as well as study and do everything else? Yeah, I didn't study much. <laughs> probably probably <laughs> why I'm an actor. Uh, yeah, we worked every day. It was the best way to see because your dad was uh, gone the whole day. You know, he'd be gone at first light and then come in when you're in bed half the time. Working was how you spent time with him. Milk before school, a lot of the time, and after school, always. And on the weekends, and and uh, after you play footy, you'd go home and milk straight after. Christmas days, you'd milk in the morning, and the, the presents would happen after, after milking. <laughs> so are you pretty good at milking a cow, I would imagine? Well, I should be, yeah, I should be. You do it so often. Like we milk 600 cows, and you do it twice a day, so it's you turn into a robot. I think you could do it, do it while you're <laughs> sleeping, yeah. It's very, milking cows is extremely um, monotonous. It's exactly the same thing over and over and over again. So why did you want to leave the farm? You just got itchy feet or? Well, I wanted to travel for yeah. a start and see the world. And then it was that year I went to LA when I was 21, I think. I just wasn't ready to go home or something. I just didn't want to go on the farm yet. No, yeah, but the travelling was just to explore the world and 
you knew there was far more than what your um, little universe was, you know. A lot more to see out there. Yeah. It's the best time of my life going traveling, you know, backpacking and, you know, having absolutely no money and working your way through Europe. It was uh, great fun. And so educational. You learn more in that. I think I learned more in first three months of traveling than I ever did in all of high school, nearly, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a rite of passage for Aussies too. I really feel like all of them yeah. want to take a gap year and what, regardless of what they're going to do because it's a great yeah. education. Yeah, for sure. So it must have been a bit of a culture shock then um, when you got to London, like you said, the first three months you learned a lot. Yeah, but it's it's funny. You've been to London and there's so many um, – there's a lot of Australians over there and a lot of Australian pubs and, and uh, a lot of your friends are over there. So we're all in it together and it's just a, uh, a good, fun time. I think everybody – well, Australians are so good at travelling. It's very different than the States. So many people in the States haven't been out of there or out of LA. A lot of people haven't. You think you're going to miss out on a year or lose money or something by going away? Americans do, but it's, life's exactly the same a year later. Miss that Aussies will go and have fun and do stuff, and you know, go back to reality after after a bit of travel. Did you meet a modelling agent in Australia, or was that in London? No, I didn't do it in in London. I did commercial in Australia, and then uh, uh, agency over here. When I um, was already here, I needed a visa. Couldn't get a visa through acting because I hadn't worked at all. And then I uh, got a visa through modelling. Oh, oh, that's how it worked. Okay. I know it's not your favourite part of your story to talk about. And I can't imagine you, now I know you, ever having been comfortable in the modelling world. But it got you where it got you the visa and came to LA. So do, do you mind just sharing a little bit about what it was like for you being in that world? Oh, it's horrible. No, but it's fine. Got me. I can't complain. Got me a three-year visa. Had to work for like two days, <laughs> and had a three-year visa. So that was it. Did you ever expect that 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 short time in your life that was to get you a visa would end up kind of being on billboards everywhere and getting banned in countries? No, I had no idea. Didn't didn't even know what it. Well, I didn't even know who Calvin Klein was or any of that. Oh my had god. Had no idea. What did you think when you first saw the billboard? Did you freak out? I didn't drive on Sunset for a year or whenever it was out there. <laughs> so bad. So then how did you end up being able to segue from that point? You were living in LA. You'd just done a tiny bit of modelling to get the visa. Then what happened? Well, I was still I was in class the whole time. Yeah, just still studying acting class and just like anybody else trying to get a job. The modelling actually I think made it way harder you know, mm. because people didn't just thought you were in Hollywood for the wrong reason or whatever. It was hard to get into rooms and everything because, you know, you weren't sort of taken seriously. Well, because they'd seen you in your underwear. Well, I just thought you were coming out here to you're just going to be here and gone, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that acting coach that you work with is an incredible coach and she's worked with everyone from, what, Halle Berry to Brad Pitt, right? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I still work with her. When I, uh, when I get a job. So how did you find her? Did you already have an agent and you were having trouble getting into rooms and then you decided, I, I want to work on it? The mate was going to that class and I went and just liked it. But it was through class that I got agent and all that stuff. You meet so many people in acting class. 
and you come across them in the industry all the time and uh, like people that you have worked worked with in class and uh, yeah a lot of directors go there writers go there and and um, they put up scenes of writers you know to see uh, like workshop them you know it's a great um, a great little community there especially when you're trying to get an agent and all that stuff so so what kind of acting did she teach or coach I mean is there a method a style uh, what did you what was the focus it was scene study you just put up a scene each week or I went to three of her classes so you put three scenes up a week and um and then she critiques them you come back the next week and and take her notes and you know hopefully it's a lot better but she's just I liked it she's always uh never play the victim sort of style and all brutally honest and uh it's just I find it very entertaining the way she um, tries to uh, help actors and the the style of her coaching and what she tries to make come real for actors. It's a very entertaining method, I feel. It's not boring. It's not about poor me crying. Like So many films now are just all actors want to cry and be sad and depressive. And I hate going or seeing a film that's so depressing. It's just like... Jeez, man, it's like it's meant to be entertainment. It's not about you crying and everybody trying to feel sad for you. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I like uh, her method of it's always about winning. Somebody has a bad situation, they don't let it defeat them, and, and trying to um, trying to fight for um, survival and, and and for happiness, I guess. Who were some of the fellow students or people that you came across along the way that you see in the industry now? It's just you always see friends on TV or in movies and um, like even on, on Vikings, my son, Ludwig, he um, ended up going to Ivana. And uh, Catherine Winnick, she went to Ivana too. Mm. Um, yeah, once the show started, they all uh, they both went to Ivana. And the kid's doing great. The kid's doing a show with Pete Siegel in, um, in Atlanta at the moment. And Catherine's working on another TV show. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so was Tarzan the first big thing that you were cast in? Yeah, that was my first first job, yeah. Did you have to audition? What was the process like? Yeah, I auditioned. I think I remember it was like 13 auditions. Oh, my goodness. For that in front of so many suits and all that stuff. And um, they actually said it was, uh, it was meant to be a comedy originally and then as soon as we... Of course, it's like so many things you get on set and then it's like it has to be all dramatic and serious and that stuff. But I thought it was going to be a fish out of water. But then um, I was very wrong. Well, it sounds like you were a fish out of water. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. But um, <laughs> I think uh, everybody, again, they're just taking that too seriously. Serious, you know. I wish people had more of a sense of humour. And Well, the great directors always do, you know, put sense of humour and a great writer's always sense of humour in, in dramatic stuff, you know. It makes it so good. Scorsese's, every film is, is he's got so much um, comedy in it. Yeah. That must have been kind of a big wake-up call being on your first show and it not being anything like what you were hoping it would be. Yeah, it still happens. It happens, you know, happens now all the time, you know, mm. this stuff. I was promised the uh, Race by Wolves was going to have comedy. I had like three meetings about it and then anyway you get there. So it doesn't change, just what it is. 
So you're just a big comedian at heart. Secretly you're waiting for that role. <laughs> no, not at all. No, but I mean the dark, the dark comedy. No, no, humans. I get it. I'm just teasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look at watching Raised by Wolves. I can't imagine the comedy now. Although you, you were, you did have a kind of funny moment when you first arrived with the, you know, picking up the, the plants and making that comment. Uh, just a few little, a few little moments um, after Tarzan. Um, then I think there were a few. You did a few pilots that didn't get picked up and kind of went through that process. But obviously there was quite a few years in between with, you know, a lot of things that we never, a lot of people never saw. Yeah. I think I did, I did eight or nine, I think, or maybe seven or eight pilots through that time. So I was very lucky, but it was great. I could do a pilot and go home and work on the farm. You know, I hope the pilot, I literally hope they didn't get picked up. <laughs> well, you made more money on that pilot than you did for the rest of the year and on the farm. Mm. You know, so you do that and then go home. It was great. One pilot that we went re reshot and it still didn't get picked up. They got paid twice. That was the best best job. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't the, you were never the sort of actor that was had to live in LA and in between those things and audition and and have to just be here, not working and deal with that. You would go home when you felt like it. Yeah, no, for sure. But. Um, Lately, while you're away, most of, none of your jobs are in LA anyway. It's true. You know, but uh, but I have been stuck here. Sort of, I'm here a lot more than I want to be. But I got a little ranch at the moment that I'm fixing up. So, well, a little hobby farm would call it in Australia, but they call it a ranch. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you have your own place uh, outside LA. Yeah, about an hour north. We've got a few acres and a few creatures. Got some emus, actually, a couple of emus. No. How did you get emus yeah. here? Suitcase. <laughs> no, nah, I saw them advertised on uh, Craigslist over here on a, like a second-hand trading post. That's hilarious. Emus on a yeah. second-hand trading post. <laughs> I tried to get kangaroos, but there's too many, um, too many restrictions. Yeah. Um, too, you need permits and a heap of stuff and... I couldn't get one under the table, so. <laughs> was Vikings the the role that made the difference in your career? I mean, was that the moment where sort of things changed or did they change for you? Um, yeah, no, no, it was great. It was a great experience. And, I, I, yeah, it certainly uh, changed a lot of things for me after the first year of that, you know. And before that, I'd just done a lot of... Uh, small films that nobody's ever seen, which is good. I mean, I'm happy for people not to see anything. But uh, Vikings was definitely the, it was more uh, commercial, you know. Well, TV shows a lot more commercial than indie. Right. Especially a genre like that. You're, you're, you're thrust into the Comic-Con world as well, right? Ah, uh, yeah, which is always, Comic-Con's funny. I hate the questions and all that, but the uh, atmosphere and the, and the fans and it's a really really different world with a lot of characters san diego just gets full up of interesting characters any of them dressed up as your character yeah yeah which is always weird <laughs> yeah and some people are just dressed up i'm not sure if they're characters but they're just it's an excuse to dress in some elaborate stuff 
I kind of missed it this year. I was meant to go this year, and then all the COVID stuff. But it's, it's like yeah, they did it all online, I think. Yeah, yeah, not the same, is it? No, you can't do the dressing up part, and that's what makes Comic Con so amazing in San Diego. Walking walking the streets is is just such a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when I talked to you for Vikings. And they shot. They shoot in Ireland. Well, they were shooting in Ireland, outside Dublin, right? Yeah, about an hour south of it. Yeah. And a lot of the cast were staying in the city, but you wanted to stay out in the middle of nowhere, close to set. Was that right? Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, I was so lucky. There was a great family out there that had some cabins on a lake that we always shot, and uh, it was just um, beautiful out there. Really. Got to experience um, Ireland and um, even took a boat to work a few times. Wow. That was a great experience. Great people, great country, and um, we've still got great friends that I go visit there when I, well, I haven't this year, but um, yeah. There's fantastic people there. It was a great experience. So, what was it like being on that show? Because obviously, most of the things you'd done, you were just kind of joking about how you only had to do a pilot and then got to go home. That was pretty grueling and that was a long time over multiple years. Did you discover something about yourself as an actor from Vikings that you didn't know before? No, it was great. I'd learnt so much on that show just because I was so involved in it all and you're always there. And um, and the creator, Michael, was just just such a pleasure to work with and so... um, so open in that, you know, so you're involved in every decision and where your character went and writing and and um, even sets and where you're going to shoot and that. You're so collaborative. And you're on set so much and, and um, it just uh, you saw exactly what happened and and how everything works. And uh, I just learned so much about filming as a whole, you know, from writing to producing to do everything, what the grips do and everything, you know, cameras and DPs and all that stuff and how hard it is to work with actors. Uh, I would imagine, you know, most actors say that, uh, you know, it's a a strange profession because you have to sit around and wait for someone to pay you to do what you, you know, love. You can't just go out and do it every day unless, you know, someone's sort of paying you. Um, The more you got to do it on Vikings, did you feel more confident did you feel like you were in the right place did it change your uh attitude at all no no i still hate it with a passion <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't know you you there's better aspects of it you know and when writing's better and all that stuff it is a lot less painful and more um uh, rewarding i guess but just um i suppose it's all about the quality of stuff that you get to work with, you know, or actors or Mm. any of that stuff, you know. It's like some jobs are just so depressing because it's the writing is not great or it's a genre that you're not into at all or it's very unrewarding stuff. And it all becomes easier the better the writing too. It's like even dumb stuff, which is the littlest thing in acting, is memorising People say, how do you remember those lines? Like, That's the easiest part of acting by mile, you know. Even though it's hard to remember lines, it's just like anybody, if you really tried, you could practice and learn the lines. But anyway, my point is great writing, 
I can learn a page in like a couple of hours. When it's bad writing, like sometimes I can never remember any of the words because it just doesn't work in your brain or whatever, you know? Maybe if you're a 10 year old kid, it might stick a bit more because that's what it sounds like when a 10 year old kid speaks. <laughs> Did you enjoy being in the world of Vikings? It seemed like it because it was a very outdoors show. Um, and a lot of, you know, action and nature and stunts and everything. Was that a fun part of the job for you or was it kind of exhausting? Well, everybody always thinks that Vikings was, yeah, all fighting and that, but it's so... <laughs> I did, like, there wasn't that many, especially the last couple of years or three years. Didn't fight much. You do one little thing and I always tried not to fight anyway. I'd rather do normal scenes where you sit and talk <laughs> to somebody. But... um. <laughs> Like again, it was more about the writing. We had beautiful backdrops and that, and there was a fair bit of action. But I never did that much action, to be honest. But I loved um, Michael's writing, and and uh, I loved that show just because of the people and the Irish people, and it was absolutely yeah, beautiful locations and uh, an interesting world. It's not a bad office to go when you think of it that way, you know. Yeah, right. My my best times are always between takes talking to the crew and laughing and having a good time and having a beer afterwards with them all. You're a very unusual actor. I don't think I've ever quite interviewed any actor who's been as successful as you who who doesn't like it, you know, who keeps doing it and still hasn't had that that passion or that love for it. Well, my only passion comes from trying to be good or trying to make unique choices or whatever, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. People, does everybody love their job? What else am I going to do now? You know? <laughs> but you realise there's probably, you know, thousands of people who would kill to be in your position who are like, oh, my God, how could you not, you know, not love it? Like, you're so lucky. And, I mean, I get it, but I think I'm sure people listening would be like, how, you're, you've got the best of, you probably don't have to audition anymore you get to work with people like Ridley Scott and, you know, there are some probably good things about it. Auditioning thing, yeah. Oh, my God, that's the best thing, not auditioning. But I know when people work, what, what's so great about it? <laughs> you know, you're in front of people being loud and being the only one talking in a room. It's like, why, why would people love that? It's like, you just want to be heard? Is that why you think you're so lucky? I mean, obviously you do it with the money. yeah. You know, as a money, I wouldn't be doing it if I was getting not much money. Yeah. But, um, yeah, people say, oh, you're so lucky. It's like, well, went to class for years and worked really hard yeah. and studied. And no, you did, and that's, I think, what you're downplaying. You're downplaying that part because you make it sound like, oh, I'm stuck doing this thing I don't like and I don't know how it happened. And, yeah, really, you work your ass off. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So that's part of ambition in a way. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely... Strive to be, try to be as good as I can, for sure. But um, the enjoyment part of it, I enjoy making, trying to be good. I mean, yeah. But it's work. I mean, how many people go to the job just loving it? I know plenty of people are very lucky that they, they do. You know, people get interviewed are normally actors or entertainment people that love, um, love what they do. But I don't think everybody. Nobody goes to work if they weren't getting paid, whereas actors would go to work and not get paid. Right. Because they just love to be centre of attention or whatever, you know. The singing, 
the singer and dancers in front of their parents. <laughs> so you would never go to work as an actor if you weren't getting paid? Not a chance in the world. Have your friend had a short film and was like, could you help me out or...? Oh, if, uh, if it'd have to be a really good friend. It'd have to be a good friend. <laughs> so then I'm curious about how you make your choices because you're obviously in a position where you actually get to make choices, you get to read scripts. You did Warcraft in 2016 and then you did Danger Close, that great Aussie movie which I really enjoyed um, that Stuart Beatty wrote. Uh, and then you did Finding Steve McQueen, Dreamland. Um, they're all very different movies. What... What makes you, what influences your choices? Well, Warcraft was money. Hmm. Um, well, that's honest. The original script was really good, actually, and then uh, a lot of things changed once we got the set. That's another thing. There's meant to be a lot of humour in that one, but anyway. And it was in the original script. I'm sensing a theme, Travis. <laughs> uh, yeah, most things that fail didn't have humour in it. Hmm. Oh, the choices? Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a money thing. I don't know, just different characters. Danger Close was shot in Australia, right? Well, that was shooting in Australia, and I love Street Betty. It's a legend, and and um, that was just... I just wanted to work in Australia really badly. And I was meant to do a couple of things straight back to back, and because of um, scheduling conflicts and that stuff, I, I couldn't do it. But I was going to be in Australia that whole year. But anyway, I got to be there for five months, which was amazing working. Been, been staying in Australia. So so when did Raised by Wolves come to you? How, how did that happen? I was in LA at the time and my agent just called and said, really, really Scott's got a TV thing that he wants to talk to you about. So I went in for that meeting and he was such a nice guy and, you know, and I'm not, it's not something I'd watch, Raised by Wolves. It's not my sort of thing. But it's really Scott. You just got to say, uh, yes, indeed, you know. And he, he's such a nice fella and good bloke. And then that was it. I said yes without even reading the script. Like, I needed a job. I wanted to go to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Although at that time it was still, he was pushing and I was definitely pushing to shoot in Australia. Mm. Yeah, he had a good experience with Alien Covenant in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, no, he loved it. But um, it was just too expensive to shoot there. But mm. that would have been um, would have been great. And I still push for it now. Keep pushing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, you say that's not the kind of thing you watch. What kind of things do you watch? No, I watch a Discovery Channel, that sort of stuff. Ah. Bering Sea Gold and Deadliest Catch and all that stuff. I always watch on planes. It's where I watch more movies than anything, or TV stuff. But I'm still my favourite show is always Sopranos. Mm. And then uh, actor-wise, Mel Gibson's and I love Mendelssohn too. Yeah. I'm so happy that he's doing good. There's some actors that you watch something for, you know. Yeah. So Raised by Wolves um, is on Foxtel in Australia and, it, you know, it's a, it's a very big, big show for HBO and I'm assuming while you were filming to be in, you had Ridley creating this world, you were on another planet, there were spaceships. Uh, I don't know if you've done a space movie or a movie that's that futuristic before. Not at all. What was it like to show up and see the world that he'd created? Yeah, no, it's pretty fascinating. That's a intriguing stuff, and they looked like they spent a lot of money on the stuff. I was, when I got there the first day, I'm like, "Damn, man, I should have asked for more money," because <laughs> it looked like the budget was really big. Yeah, so these spaceships, you got robots, and 
It's like being on, you know, very Jetsons. Remember that show, Jetsons? Oh, yeah. So what was the experience like of being directed by Ridley? Oh, it was interesting. He never said nothing to me. It was funny. Yeah, no, we'd have a chat about something completely random. Or he'd tell me what a nice restaurant he went to the night before. Yeah, I've never... Uh, well, for a start, I got there late because I was doing other stuff. I couldn't get there for all the prep and all that. So literally hadn't spoken to him since a meeting in L.A. a couple of months before or more. But yeah, never, never said, uh, never said anything really to me, ever. Wow. So you've obviously had a lot of different directors that you work with now. Um, do you yeah. prefer that, or do you like yes. to get a lot of feedback? No, I rather mess up on my own. I've hidden on directors before, just because you know most of the time you know what they're going to say, because you're not because you're trying to do it different than what nine out of ten people would do it. So you can feel them coming over and you know what they're going to say. So I always suddenly have to go to Crafty or something and do a, <laughs> do a big circle. So you hide from the director. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but obviously it depends what directors. You know, there's some people you really wanted their notes because they're interesting and, uh, and um, want to do stuff that's different, you know, and they're not copying some other TV show and, or movie or their idea of what a tough guy is going to be or anything. Mm-hmm. The best directors, well, there's a lot I love, but two of my favourite were two women directors on Vikings. Wow. Because they're just interesting and not, you know, trying to be macho guys, telling you how to be a macho guy or whatever, but they were just just had a different take and I really enjoyed them. And Do you remember their names? Because we should give them a shout-out. I always love supporting women directors. Yeah, Helen Shaver and Kari Scogel. Yeah, Canadians. Mm. Yeah, and they're just very intelligent and the perspective on, especially on a, a sort of man show or whatever that that was, the perspective was amazing. So do you, are you always actively looking for uh, work back in Australia? Yeah, well, I hope my agents in that are. <laughs> I don't know where to start looking at it again. But I, yeah, definitely want want to work there i mean i think 90 most aussies do 90 yeah 90 of them do i guess but uh yeah definitely rather rather working there and doing your own accent yeah for sure yeah i wish there was more work it's just hard because we don't have a big population to support to go to the box office and make it worth making films in australia there's not enough people to go to the box office you know we just don't have the population a film still costs just as much making it there as it does in America, but you've got 300 million people in America to go to the box office, you know? Yeah, that's true. You have to kind of wait for the Australian movie to get to like a pay-per-view in the States or on Amazon or somewhere like that to kind of... Yeah. And then there are so many eyeballs on it all of a sudden. Exactly. And then, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. But I love to see Australian... I hate when Australian movies try to add American... American movies, you know? Australia's so unique, the people are so unique, the humour's so unique. They've just got to be as Australian as they can. It's so interesting. I think those films do better than yeah. any. It's just, I feel like Australian films sometimes fail when they're trying to be like an American action film or whatever. Yeah. You know? 
But Australia is so unique and it makes us so unique. And Maybe you have a theory on this because the one question I ask everybody I do this with is, you know, people, I'm sure you hear it, people always say, boy, what's in the water down there and blah, blah, you know, how come there are so many Aussies that are taken over? And there are actually, like, running theories that a lot of people have about what makes us... Because we are... There's a huge amount of us, uh, you know, behind the scenes as well as in front of the cameras that are so successful for such a tiny country. Do you have any sort of theories on why you think that is? Yeah, I just think it's different. Everybody wants to see something different and our mentality is different. I think Mel was the one that started really with a sense of humour and um, being able to laugh, being so much or whatever and a lot of stuff, but still being able to laugh at yourself, make fun of yourself. And um, I think that's a big thing, but I think it's just different. If everybody's in the room, got the same personality, and then somebody walks in with a different personality, you sort of start looking at that person because the other nine huh. are sort of similar. I don't know, just because yeah. we grew up differently. It's not that we're better or any of that stuff. It's just it's something unique. Yeah. Most of the time you're in a room, there's, you know, well, more than that, it'd be 30 Americans and one Aussie. Who's going to stand out? The one that's a bit different, you know? Yeah, and I think Aussies also, um, you know, they've come a long way from home to do that and so they, they're they kind of in it for the long haul in a, in a different way that where if you're from Kansas City and you try for a while, you just get on a bus and go home and do yeah, something true, else, yeah. you know. I think I remember Rachel Griffiths saying, you know, for her it was like the idea that if you came back to Australia... You know, there'd be all these people going, oh, look at her. She, you know, now she's waiting tables and <laughs> whatever. No, no, no. Yeah, Australians are pretty pretty harsh like that too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they are different. But I think in the old days that was actually not a good thing. Anthony LaPaglia deliberately lost his Australian accent because nobody would hire him. They didn't believe that you could lose your accent for a role and now that's the easy thing, right? I have a lot of difficulty doing it. My accent's always weird, but like I said, learning lines and the accent—you just got to do it. It's another thing that just takes a lot. Of, it just takes a lot of time. But um, no, the hardest stuff is—I don't care about accent either. Even when I watch something, I don't care what accent people speak in. It's, yeah, you're sort of watching their emotions and all that stuff. And I really feel with all the stuff that goes on in the world, it's like, why do you need to change your accent? What does it matter where you're from? Yeah. Or, you know, the same way people do it with the, how you look or, or any of that stuff and, and equality and everything. It's like, why do Australians have to change their accent? This is who we are. We should be able to, you know, there's some stuff you can't be from Boston or whatever, but English people get away with it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, just the last couple of questions about uh, Raised by Wolves because that's what people will be seeing you in right now. We didn't talk about Marcus and uh, I found it really intriguing that uh, we find out in the first three episodes, I guess, that he's absolutely not who you think he is and it's quite a interesting... Um, I would imagine that would be quite a fun thing to do as an actor without giving too much away for people who haven't seen it. What was it like, the challenge of acting as Marcus this season? And, I mean, are you happy to be going back to him? Was there a lot more to explore in that character? I have no idea what's going to... Even this year I had no idea what what was going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that's a tricky one. Well, I guess by the time... Actually, by the time people 
hear this, they will have seen those episodes. So we can sort of say that he he uh, gets to the new world or the new planet by uh, taking over somebody else's identity, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully next year they uh, delve into that a bit more and get a bit more history and depth about it, which will make it a lot more in, in, enjoyable to play. But, yeah, it's a pretty unique world that they've created and, and, and yeah, I look forward to exploring more of the character and hopefully that comes up. And at the moment we're just a bit busy fighting robots. <laughs> there are worse ways to make a living, Travis. <laughs> no, no, free food and per diem. That's what I keep saying. That's so uh, what's what are you doing in Canada next and uh is there anything else that you have kind of coming up that you're excited about? I'm very excited about doing a Spaghetti Western, but I think it's going to be a schedule mm. clash. So I'm still waiting to find out about that. But um, it's very hard in the world at the moment with all the restrictions and COVID stuff. Um, even not sure when we're starting back, Raised by Wolves. But in Canada, I'll go to Canada next week to do a small little film. What's it called? Delia's Gone. Okay. Pretty sure. But um, Canadian writer and director is really good. And, um, yeah, I'm interested in seeing how this COVID stuff's going to work. Yeah, do you think it's going to change the industry a lot? Yeah, there's not going to be as many people, I'm, I'm sure. But this is uh, – I haven't worked since the start of the year before this stuff, so it's going to be interesting to see see how different it is. Yeah. Or maybe we'll just find out how many people never needed to be there in the first place. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> we can get very creative, we've all discovered this year, with in so many ways when you're told that there's a pandemic, you know. Yeah. I hope they let me do my own makeup. It would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a lot of lipstick. A lot of lipstick. <laughs> Well, you're such a good sport, Travis. Thank you for doing this with me. I know it's not your favourite thing to do and I just think that you have such a unique story and, and I know that uh, all the Aussies that listen will, you know, and I love that you have that advice about people, you know, for acting class. I think that's really important. And obviously your other advice is, you know, for people not to change who they are and to sort of hang on to being authentic because you're... You're pretty authentic yourself in LA. There, you know, <laughs> you certainly haven't kind of like inhaled all the LA stuff in you. Yeah, no, we're not. We're not doctors, <laughs> that's for sure. On behalf of Aussies in Hollywood, thank you so much for being with us, and I can't wait to see what's next. Thanks, Kearney. Well, nobody could accuse Travis of being too chatty, could they? But you can't help but find him endearing in that self-deprecating Aussie way that emphasises the farm boy over the movie star. I know one thing for sure, if he ever does that comedy project, I'll be first in line to buy a ticket. Until next time, that's all from Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood was presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production was by Nick Slater, and executive producer was Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app or look me up on iTunes. Mm-hmm.